Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in uh, Exodus chapter 18, so if you want to find that in your copy of Scripture, we'll read that chapter in just a moment. Do you really believe that God does the miraculous? I mean, when you, when you think through the book of Exodus, there's a lot of miracle stories. There, is a lot, there are a lot of happenings that, man, they, they seem a little bit far-fetched. If we're just looking at it from the pages of our own experience, God still does miraculous things. Just last Wednesday morning, I spent some time on the phone with one of our church members, Donna Carpenter. And I was praying with her and praying for her because her daughter, Marcy, had been diagnosed with a growth on one of her lungs. She was diagnosed earlier in the summer with that condition and knew that that was going to need to be removed. They went through a whole process of finding out what it was and what they needed to do. And it was pretty scary. The growth itself was causing the lung to deflate and creating a situation of pneumonia. They weren't sure about it being cancerous, and so they knew they were going to have to remove it. And in August, they had scheduled a surgery for Marcy to to go into the hospital in Charlotte, have that growth removed. And then the COVID Delta spike hit, and the hospital in Charlotte was hesitant to be able to take her and make sure that they could give her the adequate care following surgery, so they postponed her surgery. As I understand it, they postponed her surgery again in September because they weren't sure that they could get her in to do that. And of course, during that period of time, knowing what she had been diagnosed with, knowing that she had a growth, knowing that her lung wasn't fully operational, it it was disconcerting to her and to her family that they weren't able to get in and get that surgery done. And the surgery was uh, anticipated to be pretty significant. When they went down last week, they anticipated being there for five or six or seven days. Uh, Even going down there, there was a concern that if they weren't able to get the growth removed through the surgery, that they were going to have to take out her entire lung. And so I was praying with Donna and Don about that. They were praying for Marcy and for her husband Nathan, and, and that was last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, uh, a little after lunchtime, I got a call from Donna Carpenter, and she said, well, when they put her under and they put her back for surgery, they ran a scan, and there was no growth, there was no cancer, there was nothing else there, and her lung had reinflated. And she said, uh, please don't tell too many people yet because Marcy's still under. They, she was anticipating being in surgery. She's still under, and she doesn't know about it yet. So until she knows about it, we're not trying to tell everybody. I just want to tell you, God still does the miraculous. In, in fact, there, maybe those delays were just giving God time to do the miraculous. Uh, God does things that are impossible by our own imagination and by our own circumstances. Some of you may be in the room, you may say, well, why doesn't God give me one of those miracles? I've been going through this and God hasn't healed me of this. He hasn't taken away cancer. He hasn't taken away congestive heart failure. He hasn't intervened in a miraculous way in my life. I would just pause and say that the Bible tells us that when you were Lost, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And if you've become a follower of Jesus, you've experienced the miracle of resurrection in your own life. 
Maybe not a physical bodily resurrection yet. That's going to happen one day. But a spiritual resurrection where you were dead and God raised you to life. I'm telling you, God does the miraculous still today. And when God does the miraculous, when God intervenes, it is worth us telling people about it. Our sermon today is this, leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus by replicating. And this beautiful passage of Scripture, this narrative in Exodus chapter 18, talks about some of what it means for us as followers of Jesus to tell what God has done and to replicate the life of a Jesus follower in someone else's life. Read with me, if you will, beginning in chapter 18, verse 1. A book of the book of Exodus. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people. How the Lord brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's pretty cool. He heard the stories. He heard what God had done. People of Israel were in Egypt. They're not in Egypt anymore. They're out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And, and Jethro heard about it. So here's what he did. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped in the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your, her two sons with, you, with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Catch this, verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that, he had, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now we'll pick up and read the rest of the chapter in a moment. But here's the first replicating action in our own lives as followers of Jesus. Here it is. We need to tell others the great things that God has done. Tell others the great things God has done. Now, you've got to imagine this scene for just a moment, okay? Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a sheep herder. When Moses left Egypt at this stage in his life, 41 or 42 years ago, he left Egypt as a murderer. He went out into the wilderness of Midian and he came across a group of shepherdesses who needed some water, and he gave them some water, and he met Jethro, and Jethro, however that interaction took place, gave one of his daughters to Moses to be wife, Zipporah. So Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness taking care of Jethro's sheep. And if you'll use a little bit of sanctified imagination for a moment, that was probably a good deal for Moses. He got a wife out of taking care of some sheep. He took care of Jethro's sheep. He probably had a place to stay, an income, a wife, a family. God gave him children. All this was going on in the wilderness for those 40 years. And then, of course, we know in Exodus chapter 3, there's that wonderful interaction where Moses meets God at the burning bush. Or rather, God meets Moses at the burning bush and says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to bring my people out. Now, 
And that's a fascinating experience, right? That's one of those miracle stories that that we think of, and man, that would be so incredible to experience. But pause for just a moment and think about this. How in the world do you go back to Jethro and tell him what you just experienced? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about being Moses, going back to Jethro and say, Hey, hey Jethro, I was taking care of your sheep on the mountain, and this bush started burning, and it didn't burn up. And then God started talking to me out of this bush, and, and I had experiences like throwing my staff down and it became a snake. I, just pause right there. Somebody starts telling you that story. What's your first reaction going to be? There'd be a little bit of skepticism there, right? Uh, I'm not entirely sure all this that's going on. But here's the reality. Not only did it happen, but it happened well enough, and Moses was so clear what God was calling him to do that he left his wife in Midian, he left his children in Midian, he left Jethro in Midian, he left his job in Midian, and he went back to Egypt on a mission to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And I don't know about you, but I might be inclined, if that were my son-in-law, to think, see ya, you know, might never see you again. You're going on God's word to bring, who you say is God's word to bring, an entire slave people out of the greatest military empire that's on planet earth today. Good luck. You know, and I just wonder how that conversation took place and what might have happened or might not have happened. But when you find this kind of interaction back in chapter 18, this is probably after Moses and the people had been at the mountain. He had probably already received the law of God. He had probably already been teaching what God had said. And Jethro showed up knowing what had happened. Hey, Evidently, Moses had a real story that took place there in Exodus 3. Evidently, God did speak. Evidently, God did do some great things because here's you know several hundred thousand or several million people, depending on who you read and how many people came out of Egypt. Here's all this group of slaves that are no longer slaves. They're in, they're in the wilderness. They're not in Egypt. And Moses led them out, and so Jethro rejoiced. And did you catch what Moses did? Moses did not talk about his experience in the story. He didn't. He didn't say, hey, Jethro, do you know what I said to, to, to Pharaoh? No, no, catch what he said. He said, verse 8, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that He had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. I tell you, the greatest way, or the beginning way, that we replicate in the lives of others, folks, is simply telling people all of the great things that the Lord has done. Really, that is the heart of what evangelism is. Let me say it this way. As followers of Jesus, if you've received the life-changing gospel that has turned you from death to life, that has given you an eternal hope and a living God, if you've been saved and been forgiven, then let me say something to every single one of you that are followers of Jesus in this room. You have received something that is glorious and that is wonderful, and you and I as followers of Jesus have an obligation to tell that to other people. We have a responsibility not so much to tell uh, our story 
There's nothing wrong with you telling what God has done for you. There's nothing wrong with you bringing your narrative into the story. But here's the reality. The, the basic area or the basic part that we play in evangelism when we share our story is talking about how bad we were and talking about how broken we were and talking about how much in need we were. I mean, you think about Moses in this story. He has a staff and he has a brother and he's standing in front of Pharaoh saying, let my people go. He didn't have any authority in and of himself. He didn't have any ability in and of himself. Who was the one that was the rescuer? Who was the one that was the victor? Who was the one that was the hero of the story? Well, it was God himself. God's the one who brought the plagues. God's the one who parted the Red Sea. God's the one who brought them to safely to Mount Sinai. God's the one who gave them the law. God's the one who gave them water in the wilderness and quail and manna and all of those things. And here's what Moses does. He simply looks at Jethro and says, Jethro, here's what God has done. 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 Here's what the Lord has done. Folks, that's evangelism. It's us telling the glory stories of what God has done, sometimes in our lives, and sometimes they may not be directly connected to our own experiences, but they're telling the greatness and the glory of God. Folks, there are a lot of people in and around our relational circles, in our families, connected to us, they need to hear, not that they can make it through. They need to hear, not that they'll be fine when they're past their difficulty. Folks, they need to hear the greatness and the glory of what God has done and who God is. Let me ask you this. If you and I don't tell them, who's going to tell them? They're not going to hear those stories on the news media. Politicians aren't going to talk about the greatness and the glory of God. Baseball players and and football players are not going to tell about the greatness and the glory of God by and large. Who's going to tell them if we don't? Listen, it is our privilege and opportunity to tell others the great things God has done. And that's what evangelism is. Very simply, it is you and I telling somebody what God has done greatly in our lives or in His work of redemption and salvation. Let me give you a very specific application. I'm going to give you three of these as we finish up our sermon. So I'll repeat them in a moment. But here's what I want you to do. Some of you have been praying for somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus. You've been praying for somebody. You've got somebody on your list that you're praying for. Here's what I want you, to, want you to do. I want you today in this worship service to pray specifically for that person to hear the goodness and the greatness of God and come to know Jesus. And I want you to also pray that God might give you an opportunity to tell that person about the greatness and goodness of God that they may receive salvation. Folks, the beginning point of our replicating in the life of someone else is very simply us telling the greatness and the goodness and the wonderful deeds that God has done. It results in some great things. Here's the second replicating action. It's this. We celebrate God's great works with God's people. What happens when we tell the good news of who God is? Well, we get to celebrate it. Notice what took place. Jethro, verse 10, said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know... That the Lord, that's Yahweh, the personal name for God, the name by which God introduced Himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Now I know, Jethro says, that the Lord is greater than all gods. 
Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Here's what happens. Evangelism results in worship. When we tell others the great things that God has done, and when those others who hear the great things that God has done believe in the great things that God has done, and believe in the God who does great things, what does it result in? It results in worship and celebration. Now, I don't know if Jethro was a follower of God prior to this event. The Bible says he's a priest of Midian. He obviously had some interaction with other deities, maybe polytheistic religions. And to be quite honest with you, if he's going to hear about God from Moses, that 40-year period Moses is in the wilderness, the God story that Moses had to tell at that point wasn't very encouraging. It might not have been very evangelistic. Yeah, you know, we worship a God who sent us to Egypt to protect our families and we've been in slavery for 400 years. There's not much to tell at that point. And I'm here because I thought God wanted me to rescue the people of Israel and I killed somebody and I had to run away from my life. And then the story gets a little crazier as we talked about a minute ago. Well, the God who sent us to Egypt is sending me back and he said so in a burning bush. He's sending me back to rescue the people. I mean, there's going to need to be, in some ways, a little bit of qualification to that story. Hey, let's see some reality of what God's doing, Moses, as Jethro might speak to him. And at this point, he had heard, he had seen, he had witnessed. I mean, there's a couple million people standing there as testimony to the fact that God destroyed the gods of Egypt God rescued the people of Israel and God affirmed His leadership through Moses. And what does it do? It leads Jethro to worship. Folks, this reminds us of the cycle of our mission. It's this, we worship, learn, serve, and replicate so that we can continue to worship, learn, serve, and replicate. When we see God at work in the lives of other people, what should that lead us to do? It should lead us, folks, to celebrate. And Jethro celebrated by worship. He brought an offering, he brought a sacrifice, and he celebrated with Aaron and with the elders and with Moses by worshiping God together with his people. Folks, when God does great works, what are we to do? Well, guess what? We're together as God's people and we're singing about the great works that God has done. We're going to praise God and we're to glorify God and we're to declare God's greatness and glory. And do you know what that does? That testifies in and of itself in an evangelistic way to others who need to hear the glory and the greatness and the wonder of God. Listen, the, the celebration of God's great deeds that bring people to salvation is encouraging. Folks, it's motivating. You want to know how one of the things that's gotten me through the last several months and the last several years is seeing the great things that God has done like God did for Marcy. Like God has done for those He has saved. Like like bringing a child or bringing an adult or bringing an 18-year-old like He did last Sunday to faith in Jesus Christ. Those things encourage me. They keep me motivated to come back and worship the Lord. They keep me motivated to celebrate what God has done. They drive my worship. They drive our worship. When we talk about the great things that God has done, and when we gather to celebrate the great things that God has done, they encourage God's people. They also are a form of evangelism. They, they declare God's goodness to those who desperately need salvation. Some of you are scared to death. It's okay to admit it. Some of you are scared to death to tell others about Jesus. 
Because you wonder, man, I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to say something wrong. Folks, if you're talking about the great things that God has done, you're not going to mess that up. Because you're talking about God's greatness and God's glory. We need to be about sharing the gospel personally. We need to be witnessing to those who don't know Jesus. But let me tell you one of the greatest ways that you can witness is simply by inviting someone else to hear the good news of Jesus in a gathered worship experience. Inviting someone to come to church with you is a great way to share the good news of Jesus with someone who doesn't yet know Christ. Why? Because they're going to hear the gospel in song and they're going to hear the gospel in sermon. Let me make a second very specific application. Next month, uh, beginning next week, I'm going to preach a sermon series entitled Life, Death, Hell, and Heaven. Each of those weeks, I'm going to speak on one of those subjects, and I'm going to speak on it from the perspective, specific perspective, of evangelistic uh, invitation. In other words, each week I'm going to invite someone to come to know Jesus through that particular theme. You're going to hear about hell. You're going to hear about heaven. You're going to hear about life. You're going to hear about death. And we're going to hear and be reminded that unless we know Jesus, we won't have eternal life. Unless we know Jesus, we're going to be separated from God for eternity and death. Unless we know Jesus, our destiny is hell. Unless we know Jesus, we won't make it to heaven. And I want to let you know that for a month, the sermons are going to be intentional about encouraging us as followers of Jesus, but evangelizing those who don't yet know Christ. So here's the specific application. I'm going to ask you to invite at least one person to attend church with you over the next month. Particularly and specifically, invite someone who does not yet know Jesus. Moms and dads, grandparents, here's an easy way to get off the hook, the guilt hook for inviting someone. Some of you have children and grandchildren that have not yet trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What I would like to ask you to do is that you commit to be be in the worship services with your children and grandchildren who have not yet trusted Jesus as personal Savior. I promise you they'll hear the gospel. I promise you there are people that are already praying for their salvation. I know you're praying for their salvation. Invite them to be here and hear the good news. Uh, We're just anticipating that God's going to do some things in the lives of children, teenagers, and adults at our church. So on November 28th, we're going to have a baptism service. And all the people, we've already got some to baptize, but all the people that come to know Jesus over the next month, we're going to baptize them on November 28th. I said this last week, if lost people are not here to hear the gospel, they're not going to be saved. It's up to us to invite lost people to hear. Now, I can't promise you they'll come, but I want you to begin praying for them. And a specific application, number two, from this sermon is this. Invite somebody to join with you next month in worship. Got that? So we're praying for those who are lost and inviting someone to join us. Let me give you a third observation from this text or practical action for replicating in the life of the church. It's this. Equip others to share your replicating opportunities. Equip others. Notice this. Verse 13. After Moses evangelized Jethro, after they gathered to worship, Jethro watched something take place. Notice this. Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? 
Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come near me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. Now that's a little bit of brashness, right? He watched, he heard all the stories of God's greatness and God's glory, the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, the rescue, the miracles, all the greatness of God. And then he watched Moses act as a judge and a leader among the people of Israel. He watched it and he looked at him and said, Son-in-law, what you're doing is not good. Notice what he said. Now obey my voice, verse 19, or uh, you, verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. In other words, Moses, keep your priorities right. Teach them, train them, help them to know the law. But, verse 21, Moreover, look for able men among the people, men who fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure, and all this people will go to their, pla- go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away into his own country. I don't think the problem was with Moses' motives. I think it was simply with his methods. Moses was trying to figure out, how do I lead this group of people? And he needed to be their guide. He was their spiritual mentor. He was the messenger of God. And if you think of that many people with that many conflicts coming to that one person, man, that could wear him out. could wear him out in a hurry, and it was wearing him out. So Jethro spoke to him and said, Moses, here's here's what you need. You need some help. I think Moses said subtly bought into something that wasn't true. I think in his own mind, he thought, who else can do this task? Who else? I'm the one who meets with God. God speaks with me face to face. I don't think it was pride necessarily. I think it was just a a lack of recognition that there were others that could share in this responsibility. And so Jethro spoke to him and said, Moses, share the responsibility. Raise up some others to help. Equipping others is a testimony to the fact that God's work is bigger than us. I want you to hear this and hear this very clearly and hear this from my heart. What God wants us to do at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is bigger than I can do. What God wants us to do at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is bigger than you can do, Dr. Mike. Our mission is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. It's clearly from Matthew chapter 28. The Bible says go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Why did God give us a mission that you and I cannot possibly accomplish on our own? Why? I mean, I can't go to all nations. I can't go to every people group and share the good news of Jesus. Why did He do that? Because He wants us to know that His mission is a mission only He can accomplish. And only He can accomplish through those of us that are willing to be faithful to Him where He's called us. 
Listen, he gave Moses a task that was bigger than Moses, so Moses would learn to rely on God and learn to rely on other people. I tell you folks, God's given us a mission that is bigger than us. Do you realize that there are people in Wilkes County that Wilkesboro Baptist Church will never reach? Some of those people are in Boomer, North Carolina. Some of those people in Boomer, North Carolina will never come to Wilkesboro Baptist Church to hear the gospel. But you know what God has done? God's put it on the heart of Gary Buffalo and some folks at the camp at Camp Harrison to have a church in a community that needs a church that's preaching the gospel. And I I believe that there are people in that community that will never hear the gospel from us, but guess what? They're going to hear the gospel from a church in Boomer, North Carolina, that's going to start sometime next year. I believe that wholeheartedly. And for us, that's like, man, we're, we're losing somebody we really count on. Like, how can we give Gary away? Listen, J.D. Greer put it this way. He said, churches need to be known not for our seating capacity, but for our sending capacity. We need to be willing to say, hey, it matters more that somebody over there hears the gospel, even if it means we lose people here to go there to hear the gospel. That's tremendously important. It may make us a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you this. When their church gets started... It probably would be a fantastic thing for some of you who live closer to Camp Harrison to stop coming to church at Wilkesboro Baptist Church and to go to church at that church in Boomer. Say, I don't want to, I don't want to give up this church and I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go help them get started. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a group of people that would help raise up the gospel in another location? Well, that's the mission, folks. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be a place that just hoards people and hoards resources, we're to give them away. We're to share them with other people. We're to send folks out on the mission. Why? Because the mission's bigger than you and me. The mission's bigger than us. Folks, I can't do it all by myself. That's why God gave us a team. Our team can't do it all by ourselves. That's why God raised up Sunday school teachers and discipleship group leaders. Dr. Mike can't do it by himself. That's why God raised up Eddie. Eddie can't do it by himself. That's why God raised up a praise team around Eddie. What's the point? God has given us everything we need to accomplish what He wants us to accomplish, but He wants us to send out and share what He's blessed us with with other people. Let me, let me make it really practical for just a second. Pastor Tad and I were sitting around the other day brainstorming about Sunday school. And we realized we're not back exactly where we'd like to be with Sunday school classes. But we started thinking about and looking at all of the names of the people that were currently plugged into Sunday school and some that weren't. And do you have any idea how many people in our church are able to teach it probably scare you if you knew how many in our church were actually able to teach, and some of them aren't currently teaching. What does that mean? It means I think there are some people sitting in some Sunday school classes that could probably birth out of that class and start another class. Why is that necessary? Because, folks, we have nearly 300 people attending our four worship services, and about a third of those are in current Sunday school classes. We realize we need more classes, but we have all the teachers we need. We just need to find the right room and the right time and the right place for them to go. One of the most encouraging things that happened over this past two years is talking to Patty Schmitz about her small group, her discipleship group. She started one about uh, three years ago or so. She's raised up some ladies in that group. It's been fantastic. And she looked at them earlier this year and said, it's time for you to start leading a group on your own. 
At least three of those ladies that are in her group are going to be doing that in the next couple of weeks to a couple of months. They're going to be birthing on their own another discipleship group. Why does that matter, folks? Because it is our privilege and obligation to replicate the life of Jesus and other people. Some of you right now are worshiping. You're here with us. You're worshiping. Amen. Some of you are continuing to learn, whether that's in a Sunday school class, a discipleship group, or whether it's on your, on your own. And I would tell you, amen. Some of you are even beyond that. You're serving. You're in a praise team, or you're ministering with children, or you're serving in some capacity within the community. And through a small group, I would say amen. But folks, until we're replicating the life of Jesus and inviting others to serve with us, inviting others to learn with us, inviting others to worship with us, and inviting others to know Jesus, we've not fully completed the cycle of what it means to make a disciple. It doesn't just mean to grow in our own selves, in our spiritual development. For us to be disciple makers, we need to share the life of Jesus with someone else who doesn't yet have it. We need to invite someone to worship alongside of us. We need to invite someone else to learn. We need to invite someone else to serve. And here's what that means, folks. If you have a capacity to serve, learn, or worship, if for you to replicate, it means you to invite someone else into your journey with you. Invite someone to church. Invite someone to your small group, your Sunday school class. Invite someone to serve alongside you. That's what it means. For some of you that are watching at home, you're like, Pastor, I hadn't been able to get back in the last several months. And, and I'm still hesitant. I'm shut in. I, I, I'm not sure what I can do. Let me tell you what you can do. Unless the power of God works through us and works for us, all our efforts are in vain. Do you realize how silly it would have been for Moses to go to Egypt without God's commission? You realize how silly it would have been for Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go and throw that staff down and nothing happened? And if Moses went in his own power, that's exactly what would have happened. Folks at home, here's the best thing you can do. Pray for us. Pray for Gary as he steps away and plants a church. Pray for Wilkesboro Baptist Church and God to send us all the people that we need to do the ministry God's called us to do. Pray for God to raise up Sunday school teachers. Pray for God to raise up missionaries. We've been praying for unreached people groups. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying that God would raise up people out of our church to go to some of those unreached people groups. Why? Because the mission is more than just here. The mission goes beyond us. The mission is bigger than us. The mission is grander than us and greater than us. Let me tell you something. We need the power of God to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. We need the power of God to bring people to salvation. We need the power of God to send people out. So folks at home, one of the greatest things that you can do is pray. Spend some time praying for your church and praying that God would work in and through us to see people come to know Jesus and see us and our church sent out, wherever that, wherever that means, whatever that means, to the people that God wants us to spread the good news of Jesus to. Three specific applications. Let me repeat them. Pray for a person today to receive Jesus. At the invitation in just a moment, somebody on your list, I want you to pray. In the moment of invitation, pray for their salvation. Secondly, invite that person or somebody else or many others into worship next week with you so they'll hear the gospel. Third, who are you going to equip? Wherever you are in your place of spiritual growth, who are you going to equip? Who are you going to bring into worship with you? Who are you going to bring into your small group with you? Who are you going to bring into your serving capacity with you? If you're teaching a Sunday school class, don't do it alone. 
Find somebody to help you. If you're serving on a worship team, don't know alone. Find somebody to help you. Find somebody to join with you. Listen, I tried to put this into practice practically this summer. It's not just my job to lead our church. It's my job to raise up others who can lead churches in the, in the future. We had some pastoral forums. We brought in Hudson Myers and Josh Pinkard and Sean DeBose. We sat around. We talked. We chatted. We encouraged. We developed. Gary and Tad were a part of those conversations. It was a fantastic summer. Why? Because I'm praying that God will raise up Tad and Sean and Josh to Go, or, or, or Josh and, and Hudson and, and Sean to go different places across the world someday and share the good news of Jesus unless we're inviting others to join us and we're ready to send them out. Folks, we're not accomplishing the mission God set apart for us. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to equip? That's the invitation. Stand with me, if you will, as we move into our invitation song. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you need to lift up somebody else. Maybe you need to ask God to help you and show you what's next in your life. Whatever God's leading you to do, you respond as He leads. Father, we come to You in this moment. I want to thank You for all the great things You've done. I want to thank You for the spiritual miracles You've accomplished, the physical miracles You've accomplished. I want to thank You, Lord, that You're great and You're glorious and You're worthy of our praise and our honor and our worship. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You for saving us and for redeeming us. Lord God, You've also called us. you called us to a task. A task to invite others to know You. A task to bring them into a family of faith and fellowship so that they'll worship and serve and, and learn from You. And Father, You've also called us to a task to replicate the life of Jesus in those around us. Lord, it's bigger than us. The mission's bigger than us. Heavenly Father, we ask for Your empowerment, for Your wisdom. We ask for you to continue to raise up men like Gary to go out and take the message of the gospel to the nations. We ask, Father, you raise up missionaries through our church to take the message of the gospel all over the world. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you help us to be faithful to share what you've given us with those in our community and those across the world. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.